Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Michelle and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Kiera Corporation's third quarter 2021 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press star 2. Thank you. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Dan Cuthbertson, Director of Investor Relations. You may begin. Thank you and good morning. Joining me today will be Dean Setaguchi, President and CEO, Eileen Marikar, Senior Vice President and CFO, Jamie Yurkart, Senior Vice President and Chief Commercial Officer, and Jared Bestilney, Senior Vice President, Operations and Engineering. We will begin with some prepared remarks from Eileen and Dean, after which we'll open the call to a question. I would like to remind listeners that some of the comments and answers that we will provide speak to future events. These forward-looking statements are given as of today's date and reflect events or outcomes that management currently expects. In addition, we will refer to some non-GAAP financial measures for additional information on non-GAAP measures and forward-looking statements. Please refer to Kiera's public filings available on CDAR and on our website. With that, I'll turn the call over to Dean. Thanks, Dan, and good morning, everyone. The steps we've been taking to increase the competitiveness of our assets and enhance our integrated value chain are setting us up well for the future. With commodity prices at multi-year highs and positive industry momentum, we're seeing an increase in demand for our services. In the gathering processing segment, we have available capacity at our plants which allow us to capture increasing volumes and generate incremental margins. The optimization program in our South region produced a consolidated portfolio of our most efficient plants. This translates to lower per unit cost and higher per unit margins, making us more competitive. The Nordic gas plant was originally planned to be shut down next year as part of our optimization program. However, because of increased demand in our capture area, we have now canceled the suspension of this facility. This means the optimization program we launched in 2020 is now complete. This resulted in increased plant utilization in our southern region, 15 million in ongoing annual cost savings only realized in 2022, and a 12% reduction in absolute emissions compared to 2019. With the program complete, we can now better direct our future investments to the remaining plants to drive further efficiencies, including emissions reduction. In the North region, Pipestone continues to set new quarterly highs. At Wapiti, we quickly regain momentum after a planned maintenance outage. There continues to be work at Wapiti aimed at increasing reliability and long-term performance. This work will progress while the plant operates 
and is expected to cost about $5 million in the fourth quarter. Moving now to our liquids infrastructure segment, our assets continue to be highly utilized and generate stable cash flow. We're seeing continued high demand for our fractionation, tavern storage, and transportation services. And our CAP project construction is well underway. The pipeline is a critical link that will further integrate our value chain, expanding our service offerings for our customers. It's an end-to-end solution that will deliver value to producers and margin growth for Kiera. As we already know, the Montney is set to drive the next era of growth for Canadian natural gas and NGL production, and CAPS is positioned to be an integral part of enabling this growth. Visible catalysts include growing export capacity for natural gas, NGLs, and crude oil, increased in-basin demand for, from coal to gas switching, and expanding petrochemical industry in Western Canada, including a new net zero ethane cracker announcement and the startup of LNG Canada in 2025. Our marketing business continues to enable Kiera to deliver premium returns by leveraging our infrastructure assets and employing a disciplined risk management program. With strong year-to-date performance and our ability to lock in margins for the remainder of the year, we are once again raising our guidance for the segment, where we now expect to deliver between 300 and 320 million for the year. Turning to our ESG priorities, during the quarter, we issued our 2020 ESG performance summary. Highlights include a year-over-year 15% reduction in absolute emissions. In the coming weeks, we'll release our first climate report, which will include emissions reductions targets and other information aligned to TCFDs. With more tailwinds that we've seen in quite some time, I'm excited about the outlook for our business. The hard work we've done during the downturn has positioned us well to capture the upside of the industry recovery. Now I'll turn it over to Eileen to provide an update on our financial performance. Thanks, Dean. Adjusted EBITDA for the quarter was $214 million. This was impacted by $25 million in realized hedging losses on product inventory. These losses are expected to be more than offset by physical sales over the next two quarters. Distributable cash flow was $149 million and net earnings were $70 million. The gathering and processing segment delivered realized margin of $76 million. This result was impacted by a planned maintenance outage at the Wapiti gas plant, as well as reduced ethane volumes at RIMBY. The combined impact was about $8 million for the quarter. The liquid infrastructure segment delivered a quarterly realized margin of $98 million with high utilization across our key assets. Performance was impacted by lower seasonal propane loading and a planned outage at a third-party facility in which we own a minority interest. The marketing segment contributed realized margin of $59 million. As Dean mentioned, we are increasing our 2021 marketing segment guidance and now expect to deliver between $300 million and $320 million this year. We expect strong performance from the marketing segment into Q4 and Q1 of 2022. This provides incremental cash flow that ensures the continued strength of the balance sheet as we execute our growth capital plan. 
Moving on to capital spending. We've revised our expected CapEx for 2021 to range between 460 and $490 million. The increase is mostly due to higher costs to complete the South Cheatham Sulphur facility. We also increased maintenance capital spending to range between 40 to $50 million. The increase is mostly due to maintenance work being conducted at the AES facility. We also provided 2022 capital spending and cash tax guidance in this morning's news release. Maintenance capital for next year is expected to be between 100 and $120 million. About $60 million of this is for planned six-week maintenance outage at the AES facility in the third quarter of next year. Growth capital is expected to be between $520 million to $560 million, of which about $450 million is related to the CAPS project. And cash taxes are expected to be between 15 and $30 million. For reference, there is a detailed maintenance turnaround and outage list included in this morning's news release. We exited the quarter in a strong financial position. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 2.7 times, well within our targeted range of 2.5 to 3 times. And we have $1.4 billion in available liquidity. I'll now turn it back to Dean. Thanks, Eileen. We're feeling encouraged and optimistic about the future. We have strong macro backdrop, fully funded growth projects well underway. Our balance sheet remains strong and our customers have never been in better, better shape. On behalf of CARES board of directors and our management team, I thank you for your continued support. With that, I'll turn it back to the operator for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct a question and answer session. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star two. One moment, please, for your first question. Your first question comes from Rob Hope of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Uh, morning, everyone. Um, can you maybe, I know it's early days, but, uh, you know, ha looking out to 2022, especially Q1, you know, how much of the marketing margin have you locked in there in terms of propane? And then how are you thinking about higher butane costs or the, I guess, uh, or how do you think butane costs will trend through the winter and then into the new NGL year? BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
So thanks for the, the question, Rob. This is Jamie Urquhart. Um, on the propane side, yeah, we've we've locked in um, essentially the, the margins that uh, um, we would historically be realizing in in the winter season. So we're well positioned on that side of our business. Uh, on the butane side, you know, lots lots of different dynamics going on in butane right now with respect to increased exports um, out of North America, but also just seasonal winter demand um, that has prices elevated. Um, you know, based on the current uh, our current outlook and, and others of the third parties that would publish, um, you know, their views and ultimately the forward curve in North America, you know, we, we would expect, and I think we've been telegraphing this um, over the last year or so, that we'll get back likely to more historic butane levels um, for the upcoming supply season. All right, appreciate that. Uh, and then just turning over to the uh, to the GMP side of the business. So the decision to keep Nordeg uh, running, you know, are you seeing you know an acceleration of growth at your plants? Um, especially, you're getting a little bit tight at the northern plants. The southern plants have been moving up. Uh, maybe some commentary on how you think volumes trend into 2022. Yeah, Rob. So is Jamie still? Uh, yeah, I think that that's bang on. Is, is I think we were. Um, I put it pleasantly surprised with respect to how quickly our producers have got their balance sheet in order and, and uh, getting after drilling. Obviously, commodity pricing is is a big part of that. Um, you know, the fact that we've got Cal 22 ACO pricing north of four dollars and also balance a year north of 550. Um, you know, we've we've seen producers obviously accelerating accelerating their drilling programs. Um, you know, even in 21 to take advantage of that strong winter pricing. So those things all went into our decision to keep Nordegg running at least for the next four years in its turnaround cycle. Um, but that that's a reflection of activity throughout the South, right? Like, I mean, everybody hopefully is, is reminded that we have very strong interconnectivity between all the, those facilities in the South. And, and as a result of that, um, Nordegg's just a, 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 an element of the overall network that we that we operate. Yeah, Rob, maybe just to add to Jamie's comments is that, you know, we did have discussions with the producers uh, in that area behind that facility and, uh, you know, based on their plans, um, you know, we thought that was the, the right decision to keep going, which, which is great for us and, and them as well. All right, that's great. I'll hop back in the queue. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from Matt Taylor of Tudor Pickering Holt. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions here. Um, going back to GMP, following up on Rob's question there, with the North region largely contracted besides Simonet, when you guys are talking about capturing this upside, are you, are you talking about more gas-directed drilling in the South region, or are you looking at doing um, some bolt-on expansion opportunities. I'm thinking about Pipestone since it's already fully utilized. Matt, it's Jamie again. Um, yeah, I think all of the above, right? Like, I mean, uh, certainly we're seeing um, continued elevated activity up up in the north and continuing to um, find ways to maximize the utilization of, of those assets as, as well. Um, and, and Pipestone would be um, right in the heart of... of uh, um, what we view as being this, the best geology in, in the Alberta Montney. Um, yeah, and then back to the south, it, it's just a function of, um, you know, strong commodity pricing, allowing people to um, access really good geology, very close to existing infrastructure, and therefore can get their production on 
um, in, in a quick manner. Yeah, Matt, just, just and maybe just add, um, at Wapiti, we actually do have a fair bit of capacity left that we can contract. And so, again, we think there's opportunities there. Um, you know, the, the uh, production of that region is, is very um, uh, liquid heavy. So we're looking at ways to handle the increased liquid volume and, and utilize the infrastructure that we already have in place, which is the gas plant. So, you know, we, we've had a number of discussions with uh, different customers in the area. And, and again, we think that there's some good opportunities. I think down the south in, um, sorry, south of uh, Wapiti, which is in the Simonette region, um, again, we have more capacity uh, there as well. And, uh, you know, as you know, I think there's starting to be um, some early development more so in the in the uh, Duvernay. So I guess we'll see how that uh, you know plays out in, in 22 and beyond. But uh, certainly at these price levels, um, there's more attractiveness uh, to pursue that plan. That's great. Thanks for your answers there. Just as just as a follow-on to that, is it is it a function more of upside coming from excess capacity and and you being able to push volumes through there, or is there a margin component here too with some of the cost? Saving initiatives that you've done, where you'd be able to earn more on each barrel that each molecule that's going through your plant. Yeah, I, I think you know what if, if we just think of things overall. I mean, you know, there's pretty tough circumstances over the last few years, right? And so, you know, as as our contracts come up for renewal, and uh, you know, with the money prices where they are. I think over time it, it provides an opportunity for us to, to restructure some of our contracts that could be um, more beneficial for us and our shareholders, um, which is, you know, again, reflective of the, uh, of the, the commodity price environment that we're in today. Okay, great. Thanks for that. And then one last one, if I may, maybe a question for you, Dean. You've talked about future capital being weighted towards the, li the liquid segment. so. Wondering if you could comment on the mix you'd be willing to do there, whether it's development uh, and, and and or M and A to grow that business, and and how you're focused and, and what you're focused on there. If it's just acquiring or developing contracted assets, or do you see some strategic value in, in maybe buying or developing assets that may be less contracted but help you capture more volumes for caps and give you some downstream optionality? Well, you know, definitely we, we do want to uh, increase our contracted base. Um, returns are, are first and foremost for us. So, you know, our allocation of capital is, uh, is first and foremost. So we won't do anything in this as a value add for our, for our shareholders. Um, it certainly has to be strategic, you know, in terms of our, our uh, graded footprint. Um, so, you know what, I think, I think, we, we could see opportunities in different parts of our business, you know. So, as Jamie said, I mean, we're seeing a lot of demand in our northern, um, you know, Montney gas plants. And so, could we make some investments there? Yeah, it's, it's very well possible, but we're going to make sure that we have the contracts and the contractual certainty to, to back those types of investments if we, uh, if we, you know, we're going to pursue them. I think it's, um, you know, post caps. You know, I think the strength of our company is in the is in the industrial heartland uh, between Edmonton and Fort Saskatchewan, and we have an incredible footprint there that is also capable of helping the uh, the industry transition. So, if you think about you know some of the petrochemical developments that uh, are are likely to happen in the future, some that probably aren't announced yet, um, you know they're going to require services like 
like what we could provide, which is uh, you know, feedstock, um, you know, fractionation, storage, de-essenization kind of services. So we see a lot of opportunity in industrial heartland uh, where we have a, a big advantage already because of the, the footprint that we have. Okay, thanks for that. Thanks for taking my questions, everyone. Thanks, Matt. Your next question comes from Patrick Kenny of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Um, just wondering, guys, if you can provide an update on how the outage at the uh, the Plains PFS facility is impacting your business. Um, you know, whether you're having to manage any bottlenecks upstream or on the flip side, if there's been any incremental volumes coming your way until the facility is back uh, fully up and running. That is Jamie. Um, yeah, certainly the, the, the challenges Plains has had is tightened up the frac, frac um, market in Alberta, and, and that's created some challenges um, for, for primarily, um, you know, industry in general and the customers that, that we um, collectively deal with. So, you know, the opportunity we see is we're, we're working with those customers that maybe have been impacted by the, by, by the outage and, and, and just ensuring that their production and the value of, uh, of their production is maximized. So, you know, I, that's the opportunity in the short term and, and ultimately our ability to help those customers out hopefully will translate into longer term relations and, and value for our shareholders. And with KFS operating at full capacity, um, and given the outlook for drilling activity, are you in discussions today with customers regarding an expansion of, of KFS or when might we hear of uh, some development there? Yeah, we're, we're always obviously looking uh, to, uh, to expand our business. As Dean said, though, we, you know, we need to make sure that we've got the contracts in place to make sure that uh, that's a good investment uh, for the company and our shareholders. But yeah, we're always, we're always talking to customers and, and uh, look forward looking with respect to when we think um, frac capacity is going to be required off of our network. Certainly CAPS um, is a big part of that as well when that gets in service and, and ultimately um, provides a, another um, you know, alternative for customers uh, for bringing um, NGLs down into the Fort Saskatchewan area. So um, sorry for the long-winded answer, but yeah, we're, we're, we're obviously in conversations uh, um, with all our customers. Yeah, Pat, and you know certainly we see um, further growth in our basin um, because of some of the drivers that I talked about before. You know, certainly a lot of increased egress for our basin, which is fantastic. Um, you know, our caps pipeline uh, is going to grow over time and deliver more, uh, you know, uh, mixed volumes to the Port uh, Saskatchewan. So, you know, we do think that industry is going to require more frac capacity at some point in the future. And we are very well positioned. I mean, we have obviously a, a very competitive site. Um, a brownfield development obviously is, um, is much more economic than someone else trying to build a greenfield one somewhere else. And we have uh, the best connectivity at that site, which obviously makes it valuable. So um, again, we're very well positioned when the time comes to, um, you know, to increase the track capacity. Okay, thanks for that. And, and maybe last follow-up for me, just. Maybe you can just help us distill the opportunities that you see for Kira um, related to Dow's net zero project announcement. Well, you know what? Uh, first of all, I mean, Pat, I think that this is uh, incredibly uh, exciting. I mean, it's, it's not sanctioned yet, but um, I think it's incredibly exciting potential for Canada. 
for Alberta to have the, the first, um, the world's first net, net zero ethane uh, cracker. So, um, you know, I won't specifically speak to them. I think there's others, other companies that are looking at petrochemical developments in the industrial heartland. But obviously, as a, as a big um, uh, driver of, of feedstocks, I mean, we have a lot of feedstocks in our system. Uh, it's part of our strength of our company, you know, in, in terms of all the assets that we have and our expertise. Um, yeah, we, we have feedstocks, we have deethanization, we have fractionation, we have storage capacity and expertise around that and transportation. So all, all infrastructure and expertise that you know, would help enable projects like um, the Chinook project that Dow is doing. So um, generically, we think that we're very well positioned to, to capture some of that upside in the industry. Excellent. Thank you for that. I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from Linda Ezergalis of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Maybe I can just build on, on Pat's uh, question uh, and um, uh, ask for maybe a bigger picture vision of how uh, Kiera might participate uh, in the pet chem value chain. Um, the AEF facility also could be expanded brownfield. Um, there are potentially opportunities for uh, extension down the value chain as well. Um, maybe you can provide some guardrails as to size, how willing you would be to partner with others, whether it be uh, on brownfield facilities or new greenfield facilities, uh, and how um, ultimately that might translate into um, a, a shift in your business mix overall. Thanks for the question, Linda. Um, that's a lot. Um, you know what? Uh, overall, I think our industry has to get better at, at um, you know, developing strategic partnerships. And, and part of that is, is that we have to think about how, how our basin and how Canada and how Alberta is going to be uh, competitive globally. And I think to be competitive, you have to be super, super efficient in, in terms of your cost uh, to be competitive. But you also have to be a, a leader in, in terms of ESG and emissions. So I think that we can solve for both, but um, to be really good at it, we have to work together. So um, in industrial heartlands, um, you know, we always have active discussions with different players that are looking at um, developments there. And, and as I said before, um, there will be a need for more um, petrochemical feedstock, and whether that's ethane or propane, um, you know, obviously, butane is a big part of our, our uh, integrated value chain. Um, we can be a big supplier for that. And I think over time, um, there's going to be demand for lower, lower carbon versions of that. So, you know, when we think about our gas plants, our, um, our frac facilities, our DF facilities, over time, um, you know, we'll work to, to uh, you know, lower the carbon footprint of those uh, facilities so that the products that we process are a lower carbon version, which is going to you know, help feed the, um, the uh, you know, the future low-carbon uh, petrochemical development. So I think there's opportunities there. We have uh, great pipe connectivity between Edmonton and Port Saskatchewan. So again, that existing pipeline infrastructure, uh, we can continue to, to leverage uh, in terms of, um, you know, transportation that's required within the industrial heartland. And whether that's, you know, hydrogen in the future, which I think that, you know, there's, there's good potential for that. Or, um, or uh, 
you know, CO2, um, that's possible, but we do have um, some capacity to, to make, make some of that happen. Um, you know, I think any petrochemical development certainly needs um, storage, and, uh, and we have the largest underground storage position in Port Saskatchewan already. It's a very core part of our expertise. In, in our industrial undeveloped land, heartland land, we have 1,300 acres there, which we have most of the, um, the under, underground storage rights to. So, um, again, as the uh, industry needs more storage capacity, we, we can build it uh, right there. As it relates to AEF, um, you know, we already have a premium gasoline additive. And, uh, and again, we think that we can continue to increase the value and demand for that product if we, if we go down a path to decarbonize it, which, again, we're looking at uh, opportunities to do that there as well. Thank you. And, and as a follow-up, um, as you look at the opportunities related to energy transition, um, is there potentially um, a way to accelerate that through um, acquisitions to either gain uh, capabilities or new assets that maybe can't be achieved through innovative partnerships? And conversely, um, might there be um, a rationale for divesting of some assets that might be of higher value to other energy uh, infrastructure or uh, energy um, participants uh, that can maximize the value in other ways um, beyond what, what you can do with the assets? Yeah, you know, first of all, we are absolutely looking at our, our portfolio and, and assets that uh, are not core to our future. And, um, and certainly we'll look to close uh, with some of those. Um, you know, again, when we think about energy transition, I think that um, our best opportunity is to leverage uh, with what we already have. The industrial heartland's not going away, and in fact, there's going to be more development there. So what we need to do is help. Um, that industry, um, again, with the, with the feedstocks they need, but also to, uh, to decarbonize the products that we handle and also help to decarbonize the uh, industries that are, are within that fairway. And, um, and we see great opportunities to do that. But again, it's leveraging off of the infrastructure we already have and the expertise that we already have. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Thank you, Linda. Your next question comes from Ben Pham of BMO. Please go ahead. I had a question on the CAPS project. Uh, in your report, you've, uh, you mentioned uh, more, more pressures on, on your broader business with utility costs and, and power costs and whatnot, and you had a Cheechem project also experiencing uh, CapEx pressure. Are you, are you still confident in, in terms of that $1.6 billion CapEx budget for CAPS? Yeah, hey Ben, it's Jared here. Um, we are. The, the project's tracking on plan in terms of cost and schedule, and you know certainly um, we are seeing some inflationary pressures, I'd say particularly around the labor market, uh, so we're monitoring those closely, but really nothing material at this point. Um, you know, the other, the other portion of that, that that we've been monitoring throughout the project has been steel costs, and again, the, the majority of that's been contracted already, and our, our pipe production will be complete in early 22, so the remaining exposure in that regard is limited. So. Um, long way to go yet, but we're feeling pretty good about where we're at from the cost perspective. Okay, that's great. And, and you uh, you mentioned too the utilization improvement in, in itself. Uh, what are your thoughts about um, phase two on, on Wapiti, selling that, and potential timing? 
Ben and Shimi, um, as Dean was saying, is, is that you know, our, our, one of the characteristics of, of the Wapiti uh, Motney um, formations is um, high liquids loading of, of, of the, the production um, as those wells come on. And we've seen that over time where, particularly water, so the, the water cut has, has uh, come on quite um, significantly at the, at the beginning of bringing wells on and ultimately has um, leveled off into what we would have expected um, when, we, when we built that facility. But as, as the producers are, are developing up around that area, that, that is one of the challenges that, that we face. And so as we you know, uh, continue to see more maturation of the, 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 the wells that are being drilled there, um, you know, and, and we are, are finding alternative mechanisms by which to handle the water. Um, that's giving us more line of sight as to how we're going to be able to fill up Wapiti, and um, that, that's that's a progression. Um, so, you know, we, we fully expect that by mid-2022, um, we'll have um, the, the first um, phase of Wapiti full from, a, from the processing side, and ultimately then um, get some momentum into uh, starting to fill up phase two. Okay. Yeah, maybe, I, maybe I can just add to that, uh, Ben. So, you know, generally we see a lot of demand in the area and uh, from new sort of um, from producers that have been sort of, um, you know, inactive, now they're getting more active in the area, which is great. Uh, we have a more diversity of uh, potential customers. Um, you know, our philosophy is that we want to fill that second train with the least amount of capital. And so it might require um, some capital to de-bottleneck some parts of the infrastructure that feeds it, but um, we're also trying to leverage off of infrastructure that exists in the area. So, you know, there's a there's a third-party um, service provider that has a water disposal facility in the area. So let's go fill up their facility first without deploying more capital and so that we can uh, direct more gas to our gas plant. So that's our overall strategy. You know, the, the demand's there. The question is, is, is how do we fill it with the least amount of capital? Oh yeah, that, that's that helps a lot more. I just just wanted to clarify on, on additional capex. I mean, didn't didn't you already spend um, monies to facilitate uh, that that phase, or maybe I uh, have that wrong? Sorry, I'm not sure if I understood your question. Okay. Yeah, well, WAPI phase two, you've you spent close to a billion dollars for entire um, phases and you've add, added some water disposal infrastructure at the same time. So I, I would think as the, the volumes come into the Montney, th those areas that wouldn't just be an immediate benefit to you, but without any capex. Yeah, I mean, what, so from what Jamie, you know, clearly what Jamie said is that you know, what the, the liquid um, capacity at that facility in some areas, some parts of it, is is nearing capacity, so we don't have enough liquid handling capability to, uh, you know, to maximize the uh, the the, the capacity of the gas plant itself. So that's where again we're we're trying to use third-party facilities uh, for that liquid handling to, uh, to again just try to try to utilize our, our gas plant more. Okay, I got it. Uh, I understand. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, and then maybe my other other question is you. Look towards 2022. Like, where where do you think you're going to trend on debt type of Where does it peak? Have you talked to credit rating agencies around that that temporary bump up before it uh, trends lower into 2023? 
Thanks, Ms. Eileen. Um, yeah, so based on our forecast today, uh, we're quite comfortable funding caps from, you know, cash flow and using the balance sheet. We don't see any requirement for any discrete common equity. There's always other levers that we can pull, such as the sale of non-core assets, as Dean already spoke about. That's something that we're always looking at. But again, you know, in general, we are okay to go above our two and a half to three times leverage target for a short period. But as, you know, cap spending wraps, as caps wraps up in 2022, but the leverage comes in line quite quickly as cap starts to generate cash flow. So there have been no issues with, with rating agencies based on our forecast. Okay, that's great. Thank you. Your next question comes from Robert Catelier of CIBC. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, everybody. Most of these are going to be follow-ups, but um, I just wanted to uh, dig into the uh, the Dow opportunity a little bit more. Uh, it doesn't seem like the timing is perfectly aligned for caps um, in terms of getting an ethane pipe in that caps trench. Um, so maybe you could just talk to to that, how the timing lines up with some of your current uh, projects and the ability to uh, maybe get an ethane pipeline in, in the CAP system. Hey, good morning, Rob. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if there were demand for um, for an F, uh, ethane plus line, um, ethane mix line, NGL mix line, um, yeah, it, it would not be able to be built, constructed uh, with the timing of CAPS, because obviously we're building it today um, we would never pursue that project though again unless it were contractually underpinned where we could achieve our rate of return uh, with that contract and, uh, and if so um, we could build it and incrementally you know whether we built it with existing um, two lines or we built it separately uh, we looked into it and the cost isn't significantly different so you know if there's demand for it we could we could absolutely um, create a solution um, yeah so hopefully that answers your question yeah, uh, and then uh, just uh, give a sense of big picture understanding that uh, Dow hasn't officially sanctioned the project. That it does sound like it's um, it's going to be a reality, but uh, just in terms of timing, uh, in terms of um, when they would need supporting infrastructure and have to start contracting for that. You know what? I can't I can't you know speak to, to Dow's needs at this point. I mean, I think more generically. Um, Rob, is that we are obviously in the business to provide services to our industry, and, and we are very well positioned. Um, you know, and whether it's Dow or anybody else, if you look at our our infrastructure in the industrial heartland, and if you, if you want to use Dow as an example, I mean, they're sandwiched. We're sandwiched on other side of them. You know, with our undeveloped land uh, to the east at Josephberg and our and our KFS land, and uh, you know, we have a lot of pipe connectivity that goes right through their land, so. Um, you know, again, we have a lot of infrastructure in the area that can enable, um, you know, petrochemical development, whether that's Dow or anybody else. Right. And, and just moving on to the drilling here, just to follow up a bit on uh, your decision on Nordeg. Um, maybe you can mention which producers, but uh, if you don't want to talk about your customers that way, then which plays and which other plants are seeing the most activity there are supporting the decision to keep Nordeg open? Yeah, Robert, it's Jamie. So, yeah, I, I hope you can understand. We, we wouldn't share any specifics around what producers, but, you know, like, I mean, 
anybody with Acumap or GeoScout can figure out who's drilling around those facilities is that, um, you know, the, the formation is primarily the Spirit River, a very economic play, um, um, you know, especially in today's commodity price environment. Um, you know, the, the, the facilities uh, around Nordic, Brazil River, and these Boganap plants um, that we're partners with, with Spartan Delta, uh, the Strachan gas plants, so those are all in the fairway of, of uh, you know, the developments and the activity that we're seeing. I would, I would say that there's one, that there's, there is one um, pretty active private company in the area. And again, I think I think their their strategies may be a little bit different than the, the public code. I mean, they, they see the quality prices today and the economics they can generate, and, um, and they think it's full advantage of it. Oh, yeah, it's got to be irresistible at this point. Uh, and then just on the, uh, I just want to follow up on the AEF business and the isoloctane margin compression. I mean, the, the curve itself speaks to compression uh, of those margins because of the higher butane cost. But um, I'm wondering how much of that yeah, you think is, is structural. I, I think your earlier comments referred to going back to more traditional levels of pricing for butane. Um, but do you think there's anything structural going on based on pet chem demand, butane exports that might be um, actually causing, uh, might cause prices for butane to go higher than what you've seen traditionally? Yeah, Robert, it, it, there, there's just a ton of um, things going on in the world right now that would that's uh, you know a function of why butane pricing um, is where it's at right now, and you know, maybe encourage. We could take that offline with uh, with Dan and his team because we'd be happy to, to share our thoughts. But um, you know, I could eat up the ne next 20 minutes talking in detail about uh, all the all the global dynamics that's driving butane demand and ultimately pricing. Okay, fair enough. We could take that offline. And just uh, I noticed there was some recontracting on the condensate uh, side for storage and other services. Uh, I wonder how much of the book was uh, recontracted and. You know, is it similar terms, or what can you tell about the uh, relative change in any of the economics there? On on the condensate side, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, our, our book, they were two meaningful contracts within our book. Um, can't really share from a percentage perspective um, what percentage that they would account for, but all those contracts are long-term contracts. This was an opportunity to work with a customer, frankly, that had existing contract that um, made sense for them and made sense for us to um, to extend that contract out and, and provide some flexibility for, for their business that also made sense for Kiara. So is this a blend and extend type deal? Yeah, I can't really get into the details yeah. other than okay. saying it made made sense for us and it made sense for them. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Kuski of Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you, good morning. Um, I'll apologize in advance because this question is gonna have a lot packed into it. And it really sort of speaks to the nexus of your strategy, your operational performance and just the finances in relation to emissions profile and just how do you think about you know paying a carbon tax you're generating offsets or buying offsets and and what's really the dynamics around your decision process you know now on a go forward basis and then maybe a collateral question to that is 
you know, does Canada need a 45Q-like credit system to really stimulate investments now? Is a, a macro question. You know what? I, I think to, um, you know, I, I won't comment specifically on what policies will work or not, but certainly with the um, increasing uh, carbon taxes, uh, you know, they go up to 170 to 10 by 2030. It's, it's certainly going to motivate uh, companies to find ways to reduce their carbon footprint. And uh, and so for us, we've modeled all of our facilities and uh, and how we can continue to improve. And as we said, we're going to be um, you know issuing our our reports under CFD uh, reporting standards here uh, later this year, already in November. So that's going to be up shortly, I guess, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, and we're going to outline sort of our targets of um, which I think are very meaningful of what we're going to do concretely in the in the near to medium term and in the longer term. So, um, you know, it's, it's sending the right behaviors. Um, you know, we think Canada can be a very responsible uh, company in terms of resource, you know, country in terms of resource development, and uh, and also competitive from a, a, a production extraction cost as well. So, you know, as a as a midstream uh, service provider. You know, we think that we can offer um, services that, that help enable that. And um, so, again, I guess maybe to answer your question is, I think the carbon taxes already are going to drive us to a, to a path of um, you know, carbon reduction. And uh, us and the rest of our industry is, is already heading down that path. Okay, that, 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 that's helpful color and context. And I guess, you know, when you look at your portfolio of assets right now, just from an emissions reduction standpoint, would you target investments on uh, emissions reductions activity, whether they be CCS or something else, on your fractionators and your gas processing facilities, just because of the high intensity of the emissions that come off? Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, part of that could be power, part of that could be CCUS, you know, low carbon power, uh, CCUS. Um, I think what's also going to evolve is that, you know, we certainly believe that to have uh, low carbon feedstocks in our system is going to be also a competitive advantage because the, the end purchasers, you know, they're going to have to look at, you know, all scopes of their emissions, you know, and, and if they are, if they have a low carbon product um, sell, uh, they they will be able to achieve a premium for it, I believe. So, you know, it backs up for us, you know, how do we get a low carbon product uh, feedstock in our system to to deliver to them? And, uh, and again, we'll get a premium for that as well, I believe. In the future. So, if I, if I may sneak in just one more, and it's related, and it's really, um, do you see a bridging of your effect of your carbon and emissions reporting with your capital program in the next, you know, year or two? Yes, very much so. I think, you know, as Dean said, the emissions targets that we will be disposing in a, in a few weeks, it very much drives strategy, and. And that, and when, when I talk about strategies, you know, what are we going to be investing in in the future, and what might we be divesting of as well to fit those emissions targets? I would say overall. So as Dean already alluded to, you know, we have the assets that can um, really be an important part of the overall solution. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Robert Kwan of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning. Um, 
wanted to start with a question just on the NGL market as you think out to 22 and a bit of the recontracting season. Just with um, you know, frack space getting tight, whether that's just in general or with, with the planes um, outage and the NGL mix and market getting a little bit sloppy here, what do you what do you think we'll see for for frack fees um, next year? Just yeah, Robert, it's Jamie. Um, oh, oh, sorry. Um, did I cut you off? No, yeah, just if you, obviously you're probably not going to give a specific number, but just if you can frame it like you did on butane, you know, where we are today versus where you think we might be going into 22. Yeah, like, I mean, um, certainly um, even without the planes outage, we're, we're starting to see uh, a tightening of frac capacity versus demand as we see growth in the basin. Um, you know, um, you know, simple economic supply demand is, is that obviously if, if, if uh, demand is, is outstripping supply or, or getting close to supply, then, uh, um, you know, one logic you could look to, um, you know, uh, be able to increase um, fees. I think we, we look at it probably longer term, Robert, with respect to, um, you know, how, how can we work with our customer to um, um, develop maybe a longer term relationship or commitment that would enable us to solve the underlying problem, which is frack capacity um, in the basin. So, um, you know, like, I mean, not to say that um, there's not an opportunity maybe to charge slightly higher fees or maybe it's an opportunity to recontract and, and put some term on it that would enable us to be able to um, um, backstop uh, an incremental investment. So there's lots of different ways that we might be able to take advantage of the current situation. Got it. And just thinking long term and having that kind of give and take relationship um, as well just with, you know, the mixed market. Um, Again, getting a little bit sloppy. Is that feeding into just your commentary around butane returning to, to more historical levels versus the very favorable levels we have this year, notwithstanding that historical levels are still pretty meaningfully below uh, the butane to crude uh, relationship we're seeing right here, right now? Yeah, correct. Like, um, you know, um, historical levels are still. Um, our business is still an attractive business based on historical butane costs. Um, you know, we've we've had an environment where the the pricing has been, um, you know, below those historical levels, and and that's obviously been beneficial to our business. But um, you know, once again, we look we look at it from a longer term view um, perspective, and and ultimately, um, you know, we just just to reiterate, we you know we believe that based on um, you know all the different dynamics within. Um, the butane market in North America, in particular, that that we would expect that um, you know we'll, we'll be able to contract at at, at historical levels um, next year on the butane side. Um, you know, propane, you know, obviously um, interesting, um, you know, commodity as well with respect to the the impact of exports, but also um, you know ultimately um, significantly low storage levels in North America right now and. And a huge backwardization in the curve into 22, and um, you know we, we we look at that and and just from a fundamentals perspective, um, see see opportunity as well for um, you know being able to uh, contract um, you know a but a propane at, at prices that would allow us to um, you know make historical margins off of that commodity as well. Got it. Um, if I can just finish with. A higher level question. There's been a lot of discussion on the call about all the different potential projects 
you can be involved with um, in the Heartland area, whether that's traditional or energy transition. And you have that large uh, spare land position. You've been in no rush really to move on it. Um, I think you've just been trying to get the highest value creation and the right contract structure. I guess how far out do you think, um, you know, based on the different projects that you're looking at, discussions you're having, that we might you know, hear more about uh, development on the, that spare parcel? Well, I, that's a good question, uh, um, Robert. Um, you know, certainly we we have a lot of discussions on the land, so it's not like it's been sitting dormant and uh, and we, we haven't been trying to create opportunities on it. We actually do see opportunities, but um, the timing of that, I think that you know we're we're looking within sort of the next five years. Um, you know, I when when there could be more announcements on there, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, we we have a lot of very engaged discussions with different companies with I think some really exciting opportunities. You know, it's just a question of you know the timing of our, our customers' plans and and um, how definitive they are with them. So. You know, we do see a lot, a lot of opportunity. We think that there's momentum that, that's gaining, um, but you know, we'll have to see just, just how this plays out. But um, you know, we, we certainly see good opportunity there. Again, so it still yeah. sounds like it's something that's a little far out. Obviously, if somebody steps up with an offer, you can't refuse. Then obviously, something could happen sooner. Is that kind of the right way to think about it? Though your base plan is still several years out. Well. It's, you know, I'm not sure how you're thinking about it from an offer perspective, but the way we think about those lands is that we want to create uh, an industry hub there where, where you know, we want to build economies of scale. We already have great connectivity at that site. We have underground storage. Pretty much any development you need, you need to be able to have underground storage to help support um, almost any kind of service. We can access um, both rail lines from that site and, and put unit train tracks on there. So. You know, in terms of the infrastructure and what you'd require for a really uh, large-scale uh, industrial development, we have all the pieces for it. You know, and and uh, if you look at the proximity, I mean, we're right adjacent to, to Dow, uh, we're kitty corner to, to ITL, Brookfield, uh, in their PDH facility, uh, Shell Scottford is to the north, and we have pipe connectivity all the way down through the industrial heartland right down to Edmonton. So, you know, we have, I think, a very attractive um, piece of land to, to track development to there and, and we provide services to enable it. So, you know, in terms of, you know, what you might describe as an offer, we're, we're just trying to help enable development in, in, in our province and in that industrial heartland. And I think we have the pieces to, to help make it happen. Yeah, the only thing I'd add, um, Dean, is that, you know, CAPS runs right through that piece of land as well. Um, so, you know, we that's a component of, of our overall strategy and offering as well. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for your question. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no further questions at this time, so I would like to turn the conference back over to Dan Cuthbertson. Please go ahead. Well, thank you all again, once again, for uh, joining us today. Please feel free to reach out to the Investor Relations team for any additional questions, and we're happy to help you go through your modeling uh, after the call here, and uh, hope everyone has a good day. Thank you.
ladies and gentlemen, this does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you all for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.